0: got friends only wanna talk business. I got expensive 'cause win is expensive. I got expensive 'cause win is expensive. I've been reading all the words, and I've been shutting down the stars. Yeah, 'cause when it rains, then it pours. Yeah, and I'm ready for some more. Yeah, and I've been reading.
1: Welcome to Put That Coffee Down, the freight sales podcast for closers. I'm your host, Kevin Hill. We have another great episode for you today. We're talking about sales differentiation, a little bit about niches as well, because they kind of go hand in hand. And with me today, my guest co-host is Nicole Glenn from Candor Expedite. How are you doing today, Nicole?
2: I'm good. Thank you for having me today. I'm excited.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a pleasure. Uh, pleasure having you on the show. You actually lined up this next guest, or actually recommend him to us, and that is Lee Sals, the uh, author of the book Sales Differentiation. Yeah. So we'll have him on here in about twenty minutes to talk about, uh, you know, how to really position sales and your brand. And how did you meet Lee, or, or did he? Uh, did you go to a, a speech that, or a, a speaking engagement that he did, or no. how did that
2: come about? Someone. Yeah, someone recommended that I I pick up his book, and so I did and read it, and I loved it. It's a really short, easy read. It's a a ton of good tips in there, and it's just a perspective change in your mind that you can easily make a twist and start putting out to your customers, and being a niche company that I own, I thought it was the perfect tool that we could utilize. So I reached out to Lee. I told him, hey, I love your book my team, I actually put it to my entire team. So they started having questions and I'm like, we would love to get together with you and host a session, which we have not had yet. So I need to, I need to book that with him, but um, it was just an awesome conversation that I had with him. And he coached me. He like said, Hey, call me. And so I called him and I went through some of the scenarios that I was going through and trying to come out different to our clients. And so he took the time to just host like a 20 minute, session with me and, and we role played and he told me what's up and it helped me so I, I thought he would be a great guest to have on today
1: yeah thank you very much he is uh, I talked to him a few minutes this morning uh, and I read the book this uh, over the weekend so it's a, it really is a nice short easy read it's about 190 pages it's broken into 19 fundamentals which we all love bullet points and and quick easy chapters that really hammer on hammer home a point. And that's exactly what this book does. And it was a joy to read. Uh, a lot of times we, we get focused on what we're selling and instead of how we sell and that differentiation that, that comes with that. Uh, but yeah, he'll be on in about 20 minutes. So we'll talk more in depth about the principles of sales differentiation with Lee. Uh, but first let's talk about Kendra Expedite and talk about sales differentiation with you. And uh, you know, give us a little bit of background about your story, Nicole.
2: Yeah, so I'm the owner of an almost four-year-old company that specializes in niche services. So I like to say niche of niche because we get into the expedited piece, offering cargo van service, straight truck, um, anything hot shot, anything ground, anything domestic, as well as um, white glove services. So exclusive white gloves, um, high touch, you know, high value type of freight. And so, when you're selling those types of products, obviously, again, like I said, this is a, a great tool for that. But yeah, um, we are located in two different places as of right now, and still growing. So I'm actually talking to you in my Dallas office. We're located in Plano, Texas, and then had started the company in 2017 in Illinois. So we have two different groups there, and then we have some folks that are working for us uh, in Columbia. So it's been a very interesting time as of late. With opening up communication and seeing how teams can work remote and and really growing that way, and it's really added some great resources to our team.
1: Yeah, it's been an interesting last twelve months certainly. Uh, but but you, so so, has uh, been around about four years now. You started about four years ago, in a niche, yeah. and niches have the riches. And I always say that, and I I, I firmly believe that too. Uh, and it's, it's good to, to concentrate on on what you know especially when you're starting out because you don't have the luxuries of making mistakes in areas that you, you you're, you're playing around with or you don't really have any expertise you know when you're starting out you, you really need to focus on what you know and bringing value and that differentiation with with that
2: yeah and for us it's I see a lot of brokerage firms out there that say, yeah, we do it all. And I I see a lot of sales reps struggle with that. There's just no way to step into something so big as transportation and go, yeah, we, we can do everything and we're awesome at it and try to teach and train and really have solid procedures that go with each type of vertical, each type of mode. And so having that niche service makes everybody become experts in that arena and they know how to execute because it's. Again, even though it's changing every single day, it's a different scenario, it's still operating in the same fashion, following the same procedures every time, and really growing that carrier network that really fit that niche. And so I think that's where a lot of companies struggle is trying to uh, find the pieces to fit instead of, hey, this is what we do, and being that piece to fit for someone else.
1: Yeah, so you brought up a really good point right there. It's all about your carrier networks, right? And yeah. you can't have a, yeah. a strong carrier network in a in hundred different things. You concentrated on hot shots, that high touch final mile, you could lose a lot of money if you start chasing heavy haul loads across the country or uh, Mexico Frey or, or things outside your wheelhouse. It's, it's very easy to not only waste a lot of time, waste a lot of resources, uh, but you can you can burn through a lot of money chasing it uh, doesn't necessarily bad deals for other people, but bad deals for yourself, certainly.
2: Sure, sure. And it's that differentiation, too. You know, it's telling your clients, hey, this is what we do, and we're really good at it. And it just it makes sense for our business. And we do see a lot of companies that do try to push push us, like customer-wise, out of our, our niche. And we go, hold on, hold on, come <laughs> on back, because we know that that's where we're really going to be able to solve a problem. And I think that's how a lot of companies need to start looking at, you know, what they're doing and what they're offering is what problem can we solve to be different.
1: Instead of looking at what revenue can we generate in a perfect world? Because a lot of times that's when you start thinking about that, you're thinking about a perfect world. Oh, we can get this domestic van freight through an RFP um, in a perfect world. But in the real world, you might spend three months trying to do that bid on and off spend the time going through that process and never really had, even have a shot at it. And, and probably if you, if you did win it, you'd probably lose it pretty pretty quickly.
2: Yeah, and I, I, even one of your last shows, you said, I listened to it, and it was basically like, what? how many times have you had a new RFP come through and you just put a carrier on there that you don't know? You know? Mm-hmm. And I remember you talking about that, and I was like, man, I'm sure that happens quite a bit for people where they go, all right, guys, we did win this piece of business now let's start our sourcing now let's try to be an expert in this particular lane or this particular region because you know the the rate index said we should place a, a price there and for me it's it's being able to recover so i think that's another differentiation is what do you do when things go wrong so if you're running a heavy haul load in some remote points that you're not comfortable with and you just found a carrier to handle it for that one situation What happens when something goes wrong with that and you need to recover it or there's a breakdown or, you know, someone doesn't know how to advise a driver, like ask the right questions like, hey, how is this loaded? How are the tarps on here? You know, ask Mm -hmm. all those right questions so that way you can recover and make something right for a client when, when it does go off course.
1: You're exactly right. I mean, how many times, I know I, from personal experience, I've done the one, you spend all this time getting a customer, whether it's through RFP or really a consistent lane, and you're counting the money, you're counting the, those commission checks, and the first time that the load goes wrong, and it's usually because you have a carrier that you have no idea about, you know, maybe it's a Friday afternoon pickup and they never show up, right? And that's a, yep. a deal killer right there. <laughs> right.
2: Bad first yeah. impressions. Yeah, it's just not yeah.
1: good. It really yeah. is. So, so let's talk about candor. You have uh, uh, some big news coming out. Uh, first of all, I saw Tyler Wyatt, who was on uh, an audio bonus version or episode of "Put That Coffee Down" that I did uh, six, seven, eight weeks ago. Uh, he got a promotion, yeah. right? Did. did I see that right yep. on,
2: on LinkedIn? Yeah. So I surprised him. He travels between our Dallas office and Kansas City. That's going to be the next office that we're opening at the end of 2021. And so he was in between. So I figured, hey, let's, let's set up this office for him and, and make it a nice welcome home uh, surprise when he gets back. So yeah, he's doing a great job. I mean, he came, he actually was a shipper. Uh, I know he mm-hmm. talked about this in, in the show. And he was one of my longtime clients. And again, we talk about hiring people that have the attitude, the work ethic, and maybe they don't have that exact skill set on freight. I mean, he was in supply chain, but he had never actually moved shipments, never been a part of the customer process on this side. And so mm-hmm. it was a little bit of a learning curve for him, but again, with having the right characteristics of a personality, he's been, you know, running with it and doing very well. So now he has a team underneath them, him and managing and leading this team. So it's pretty cool. It's also all over. Like I keep talking about having different offices and Trying to manage people remote, some in office, and and creating that flexibility of our company, he's he's done very well with that.
1: Yeah, well, great. And you have another big announcement. Let me. It's a sales show, so let me make a sell here uh, for our sponsor and talk about leads, and then we'll get into the next development for Candor Expedite. And we'd like to thank our sponsor, Zimble's. You want to crush your numbers, so stop random prospecting. Zimble's can tell you who is spending on shipping, and to get those leads instantly, taking your sales process from a 95% failure rate to a 50% success rate, Go to startzimblescom slash free trial and sign up for a demo today. So if you need leads, Zimbals is a great place to go. So, Nicole, what's the, the next uh, piece of technology that you have coming out for Candor Expedite?
2: So we have released our version that is focused on our carrier base. So we're starting there. It's called The Circle. And the reason why it has that name, obviously, I don't know if anyone's seen our logo, but there's a big circle around it. Mm -hmm. We like the idea of taking everybody and bringing everybody together. So right now it encompasses our team as well as our carrier base and really lifting that elite carrier base that we have. Um, We are not interested in continuing on any load board type of scenarios, and we want to elevate the carriers that have done a great job for us. Um, and really get them some different opportunities, and then present our equipment to our customers when they're in need for time-sensitive shipping. So we started off there with this piece, just released it, trying to also meet new carriers in the process and start the just the conversations with them to see if this is something that you know they can onboard with us and start learning more about each other um, to see if it's going to be a good match. But we're trying to create a full circle type of software that will encompass our customers as well here where it will be a, a one-stop shop for our customers on the excavated ground side of things where they can either upload a quote or it will actually pull information from an email, plug it in, and then obviously match them according to our carrier compliance and our, our uh, ratings scorecards of, of carriers with um, sh- um, trucks that will be able to move and get them, obviously, a quick turnaround on their pricing equipment that's not just a made-up rate, it's an actual truck in hand. So, it's a digital rate match with, you know, our touch on it. So, we would obviously conduct any sort of, you know, issue resolutions um, in the future and ensure on-time performance. So, again, it's just phase one of a full-encompass program that we're going to be releasing here over the next year or so.
1: That's fantastic news. It uh, really, really yeah. is. We're talking about sales differentiation today. How are you going to use that to position yourself and really differentiate yourself and, and use that and your salespeople use that to, to, to drive business?
2: Well, I mean, it's an actual truck in hand scenario. So I think a lot of these softwares right now are just taking rate index or maybe even past data. And with Expedite, that's really hard to do. Um, We have customers that need shipments that are able to be picked up in the next 30 minutes, 50 minutes, you know. So having that truck in hand and true time capacity based upon service scorecards and actual activity that we've done will really uh, create just quick turnarounds. And with Expedite, that's just crucial. You know, if you have a line down situation, you don't have an hour and a half or two hours to try to get a quote, book a load get someone moving, you know, get them to the pickup. So this will speed up that process and hopefully get trucks directly to the customers uh, quickly and efficiently. Perfect,
1: perfect. Um, So, uh, and you're down in Dallas or Plano, I, I should say. How's, how's the, yeah. is the deep freeze over now? Ready for spring? It
2: is. I have felt so bad for some people that have down here, like part of my staff. Um, it was terrible. I'm not going to lie. I mean, it was really weird to see that, uh, everyone was out of power and pipes were bursting. There's still problems from it that are getting cleaned up. But I was very fortunate. I lived next to a hospital, so I never got cut with power or had any issues. But it was uh, pretty bad there. So now, hopefully, once this you know little week of weather passes us with storms, we'll be back on track for 75s and having yeah. a nice march. Yeah. Perfect.
1: Before we bring Lee on, uh, what, what's your outlook for 2021? What are you expecting, uh, certainly in the, the the final mile, white glove, uh, you know, whether it's a B2B or or, or B2C? What, what are your expectations for for 2021?
2: I think, it, well, especially for the B2C on, on the final mile, white glove side of things. I mean, we all know, I like to call it the Amazon effect, has really kicked in. And we're seeing a lot of pop-up companies. Um, try to follow suit with this. So I think the B2C side is going to be an ever-increasing demand, you know, and finding the companies that can really give that technology and give that service behind um, are are really going to thrive in this environment. As far as, you know, continually seeing this crazy capacity market, I'm not sure. You know, if you would have asked me at the end of uh, this past year, I would have said, yeah, I could see this continuing, but I'm not really sure with, with what to expect on just the standard capacity truckload side of things. I don't know what your feedback is on that, Kevin, what your thoughts are.
1: You know, I mean, it was tight capacity. Then we, we hit the, the deep freeze uh, that kind of threw a wrench in it, you know, how polar For vortexes sure. will will do that. And then we're coming into to March and April into the spring shipping season. And yep. seasonally, it's it's going to get stronger from here. So I, I, I think as, as long as really as as long as as you you have people spending on on goods and and not traveling and social distancing I I think you're gonna see really tight capacity I think um, you know driving schools where you you have the the new young talent of of drivers coming in is is still running 30 40 50 percent at capacity and you know here you go you know I mean I, I think you know, and we always say this. You know, this is going to last for a long time, and then all of a sudden it doesn't. It seems like uh, so it can it can surprise all of us. The capacity will just hit the market at some point, but I, I think it's still going to be six nine months before uh, we, we see capacity really kind of calm down.
2: And we did just witness our first, or we're about to minus the polar vortex. I mean, I felt like last week was DOT week. It was absolutely terrible. I'm like, was it oh, yeah. DOT week, and no one told me. Um, but, I mean, I thought I've, I've been listening to that co- contract and, and spot are finally getting to where they're starting to uh, dance mm-hmm. and, and eventually cross to where contract is is going to hold higher prices. So that was a little interesting. So I'm curious to see if that does really carry on here.
1: We will see. We will see. And I, I yeah. think we have Lee Saltz in now. Uh, it's funny sometimes I get these messages up here and, and they're contradictory. You know, he says he's in, then he says he's not in, and then he's in. <laughs> so, but I hear Lee right now, so that's good. Lee Saltz, the, uh, the, the author of Sales Differentiation. Thank you for joining us today.
0: Thank you for having me. Yeah,
1: very good. Well, let's get it off in, to the racist, Lee. Uh, you can introduce yeah. yourself uh, here in a second, but I just want to, uh, to, to kind of throw down the gauntlet here. Uh, you wrote the book, *Cells Differentiation, which I just showed. Why are you the best person to write on the subject?
0: Oh, I thought you were going to ask me a tough question. That's easy. Yeah. I'm the best sales consultant in the world. Well, that's that's good to hear. (laughs) (laughs) What do you you think of me now? (laughs) But did I just endear myself to you? I bet your listeners are going, oh, my gosh, what were you thinking? What an arrogant jerk. And if you're thinking that about me, here's my big question for you. Why do you think your buyers – feel any differently about you than you feel about me at this moment when you come marching in saying, my products, my services are the best. They don't. They feel exactly the same way about you that you feel about me at this moment.
1: Exactly right, another freight broker calling me saying that they have the best service, that they have the best relationships, they have the the most carriers. And oh, right. five minutes later, yeah, no, five <laughs> minutes later, another broker is going to call you and tell you the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. It happens every day to uh, shippers and, and people that that we sell to in the freight industry. So absolutely, uh, exactly
0: right. Very good foundation. Have you yeah, seen? Tells, do you know about the buyer yeah. eye roll?
1: I, I I've done it before. Yes.
0: <laughs> you know it, right? Every time a yeah. salesperson uses that word best, it's oh here we go, right? The mm-hmm. game's afoot. And the reason is we can't prove best. You can't prove that you're the best company to work with, so so why go there? All you do is tarnish the relationship unnecessarily right in those first few moments. Every time you use that word best.
1: You really do. You really do. You have to prove it. And and that's where mm-hmm. I, I think the the, the, the the first stumbling block is for most salespeople is I I, I don't know what to say, so I'm going to say we're the best. But I have no right. idea how to prove it. And yeah. it's, it's kind of like a catch-22, right?
0: It is, totally. I mean, you're just looking to fill the space. So let me start off by telling you we're the best company with the best service in the world. Not even the country, in the world. Or we're
1: the, we're the biggest, right? We're biggest or ah. we've been around the longest or all these other attributes that could really hurt you in the long run. I mean, it might not be yeah. what the buyer even wants to hear, but, but you, you, that's what you say.
0: Well, I, it's funny. I, I ask salespeople this all the time. Well, think of that word uh, biggest that you just brought up. Is that a blessing or is it a curse? Right? And the answer is, it's what you make of it. So mm-hmm. if you are the biggest guy, yeah, there's a story for you to position of buying power and scalability and all those things. But if you're the small guy, You also have opportunities to differentiate yourself, talking about being nimble, flexible, Mm -hmm. uh, ease of communication. So there's opportunities. and, And I get asked all the time, what's the biggest mistake salespeople make when it comes to sales differentiation? And that is tossing out differentiators and leaving it to the individual on the other side of the desk to figure out what it means and why it matters to them. So they just say, we're the biggest, or we're locally owned and operated, or we're privately held, we're publicly traded, and that poor individual on the other side of the desk has to say, "Hmm, why should I care about that?" And guess what? One of two things happens: they either never figure it out, or they give it a meaning that's not helpful to your sale.
1: You're exactly right. I mean, it's it's you can't let the buyer make up their make that connection because they're not going to make the same connection that that you're going to make. Nicole, jump in here.
2: Hi, Nicole. Oh, Hi, Lee. I'm so <laughs> excited to finally meet you face to face. We had a great conversation, so I'm I'm glad to, to be a part of this with you.
0: Yeah, I'm glad we're all together today.
2: Yeah, I love that you started off with the very beginning part of the book. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, my copy too. I know it's it's I'm uh, I got all the post-it notes all the I way love through it. because yeah. love there it. were so many good. Little nuggets that I took out of this book.
0: <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that. There's yeah. another one coming, by the way. I saw so, that September. Sell different. The second in the series. Fifteen I'm more excited. sales differentiation strategies. I'm excited for that, for sure.
1: Yeah, it's gonna be great. So, so sell different. Is that so? So one of the the concepts that I really liked in the book, right? Yeah. One of my key takeaways is that as salespeople, we don't control what we sell, right? The product is the product, the service is the service, and it's it's Mm -hmm. very applicable to the freight brokerage, right? Is that you're gonna get a truck to show up, hopefully on time, it's gonna get delivered, (laughs) hopefully on time without any damage, right? So there's there's not a lot of differentiation and it always goes to price. It seems to always go to price. You can't really control what you sell, but the differentiation, really the the main core of differentiation is how you sell it. It's the how, not the what.
0: Well, you have opportunities on both sides of the equation. You want to look at differentiating what you sell, but also Mm -hmm. how you sell it. Uh, And I'll tell you a little story around that. I've got two sons. One is playing college baseball today. Another one just committed to play college baseball. And if you've ever been through a college recruiting experience, you know it's a sale. These college coaches are trying to sell you on their institution, but they can't differentiate what they sell. They can't add a major. They can't create a dorm. They can't move the dining hall. It's all fixed assets. So the sole set of tools that they have to work with is differentiating how they sell. And I'll tell you what, there are some college coaches that are marvelous at it and some that, that fell miserably. I remember when my older son was getting recruited, we went to visit this one college. Now, you know, whenever you go to visit a college, as soon as you cross on the campus, your blood pressure jumps about 30 points. You know why that is? Why is that? Can't find a place to park. Every single <laughs> sure. parking spot says park here, and we're gonna tow you, but welcome to our fine institution. <laughs> so this one school, we pull into the parking lot, and there's a spot with Steven's name on it. Stop us dead in our tracks. It's like, oh, my gosh. They made us feel like he was the only athlete they were recruiting for any sport anywhere on the planet. Of course, that wasn't the case. But that's how they made us feel. We go inside. There's an agenda for the day with his name printed at the top. What did it cost that institution to do those two things? A penny, maybe. Mm-hmm. But think about what they did. They made us feel special. And in sales, we have that same opportunity and we forget. We get so busy. We got this prospect, that client, all these things going on. We forget to make each one of them feel special. And it's a challenge. It requires some thought and it requires that you care. And that is such an important way when you think about differentiating yourself, thinking about the how you sell side.
2: Yeah, and that's true for us. Oh, I'm sorry, Kevin. No, no, That's go true ahead. for us, even on, on the candor side, I mean, as an owner, I get quite a bit of email, sales email. And it tends to come over, and it's two lines, and yeah. there's absolutely no life to it. And it's saying, hey, can we can we talk today, or are you the person that I need to speak to? And mm-hmm. what's the first thing that you think I do to that? I just delete that. There absolutely. There's nothing that is breaking through that clutter to say, You know, you can offer me anything different than what I already have, that you actually care about myself and my business. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a trap that a lot of companies do is they just want to put a sequence on and hit go and hopefully someone will buy from them. And that is definitely not the case.
0: Yeah. And you know, w- with the whole pandemic, my wife and I hadn't gone out to dinner in, in a very long time and and there's this one steakhouse that we go to and at this one intersection there are five steakhouses, five places where you can go to get a nice steak. But we always go to this one in particular restaurant. And their steak, I would say, is just as good as any of the other four places. But I'll tell you why we keep going back there. There's a waitress. Now, we hadn't been there since July. We went there last week. We walked in, I have a special drink, by the way. I took an Arnie Palmer and I customized it. It's an Arnie Palmer with a splash of grenadine and a slice of orange instead of lemon. Try it, it's outstanding. I walked in, this waitress hadn't seen me since July. She's like, you want your favorite drink? Boom, brought it to the table. Looked at my wife, there's some martinis she likes, boom, brought it right to the table. And she knew exactly, she's like, okay, so you want your porterhouse steak, right? I mean, she remembered all that. And what she does is she makes it an experience for us. And that restaurant, guess what? Probably one out of three times, screws up the steak. It doesn't come out exactly as we ordered it, but she knows how to make it right. As a matter of fact, when we went the other day, I ordered it medium, came out kind of rare, and I always get it with a side of drawn butter. So, oh, no problem, takes the steak back. And I told my wife, I said, I guarantee you, she will come back with another cup of drawn butter, because by the time they get back, it'll be cold. Sure enough, Here's the steak. Here's the drawn butter. She creates an experience. And you say, oh, well, that's a restaurant. All of us in sales have that opportunity to make it an experience and think about how we would want to be treated if we were sitting on the other side of the desk. It's so meaningful we don't think enough about it.
1: And I, I think that's where niches come from. You know, niches are, are mm-hmm. just an, another form of differentiation and you can have that buying experience, you can give that buying experience, right? That, yes. that experience that you're talking about, and I think that's <clears> what <throat> Nicole does at Candor by focusing in on her niche because if i have questions about the final mile or white glove or something in her specialty i know who to call Mm -hmm. you know i know who to call and she's going to walk me through the process because i'm going to be unfamiliar with it and most buyers or unfamiliar with what they want to buy, a lot of people don't really want to, to make a choice. You know, too many choices mm-hmm. are oftentimes bad. I mean, you you go into the book uh, about um, you know big box real t- retailers, right? And mm-hmm. having this obscene amount of choice, but no one to guide you through that process, and then going to a specialty store and and having someone sit down and lead you, you know, hold your hand basically through the process. And I think a, a lot of buyers like that. And that's where you can charge a premium. Absolutely. And
2: and that, that goes to say too, that there's not always a reoccurring buyer. You know, a lot of people don't do time sensitive critical shipments every single Mm -hmm. day. Right. And so it's educating them on what they don't know. And this is a great example. Like Lee went in your book, you talk about uh, the tree situation where, Mm -hmm. you know, this thing, this, this, these, these trees fell in your yard and you know, that doesn't happen to a person on a normal everyday occurrence. So what do you have to do? You have to educate the buyer. So I know we're kind of going off track, but I would love to hear your insight on what that looks like to educate a buyer on what exactly that it is that they're buying. Cause there's times that yeah. we don't really know what we're buying. Yeah.
0: yeah so th- that's a great point. So there's a question I've asked salespeople in every industry you could name in every country you could name in B2B, B2C, and business to government. And every single time I've received the same answer to it. You ready for the question? Yes, we're ready. Who knows more about the world of potential solutions in your industry, you or the people you sell to? And not once, not once has a salesperson said, oh, the people I sell to know much more about the world of potential solutions in my industry. It's never happened. So, the worst thing that we've done is we've told salespeople that you're selling to educated buyers. It's not true. Yes, they have access to information, but you know more about the world of potential solutions in your industry than they do, which gives you both an opportunity and obligation. I believe if you're in sales, you have an obligation to help people make an informed buying decision which also gives you an opportunity to shape buyer decision criteria because they don't know how to buy what you're selling.
1: Yeah, there's a, I saw a headline not, not too long ago, goes data is the new sand, right? And it goes, goes hand in hand with the information that buyers have now. They're, they're more informed, but they don't know what to do with that information, right? right. Uh, very few things in B2B, especially B2B, are sold in any, any high ticket item, right? Mm -hmm. You need a salesperson to sell that and to educate the buyer and to ensure that they make the right decision. And that's been around since time immemorial. And even with the Internet and all the data that's available right now, that principle is still the same, really.
0: It is. But here's the key. No one likes to be lectured. I'm sure neither of you like to be lectured. I know my kids don't like to be lectured. It's an awful communication medium. So even though I just said we know more about the world of potential solutions in our industry than the people we're selling to, it doesn't mean we come in and lecture them and tell them all the things they're doing wrong. Right? It makes for a very yeah. short interaction. So you know, if you think about, if you've watched court television or you've had the privilege of being in court, you know attorneys don't testify; they ask questions in a specialized way of the witness to paint a picture for the decision-making group, the jury so they see exactly what the attorney wants them to see. If you've been to a psychiatrist or a psychologist, you know, they don't give you the, the answers. They ask you questions, lead you down a path until you see what they see. And that's what we have to do in sales. We need to ask questions that help people think differently about the world of potential solutions that they could have, right? Guide them, lead them down the path so that they see it. And, and there's finesse there. There's work to be done on the sales side before you can come out and actually do that effectively.
1: Nicole, do you have a?
2: No, I was just going to say definitely. I mean, that is part of it. I think a lot of people go into things blind, and then they'll just hope that someone picks up the phone and they want to <laughs> do that lecture, ask that one question, and do that full lecture. Again, bringing back that concept of why they're the best and not really mm-hmm. dive into the topics that we're talking about.
1: Exactly. exactly. I, I think one of the another thing that I got from your book uh, is the, the, the two words that are a killer to any deal or to any presentation or any sales process and those two words that you should never use a salesperson, <laughs> right?
0: or yep. okay, so and, and these are two words that I personally guarantee you turn buyers off and and I'm going to do so. I'm going to contradict just about every sales training you've ever heard of right? Because you've been taught to set an agenda for a meeting, right? And it sounds mm-hmm. like this. What I want to do today is X, Y, and Z. And you've just used the two words that I personally guarantee it term buyers off. I want. Think about what you've just done. You've just blown the meeting in the first two seconds because you've just said, I'm here for a commission check. How are you today? <laughs> right? That's what you've done. Yeah. So you don't set an agenda, you propose one. For this to be a great use of your time today, what is it you want us to be sure to cover? The answer to that question charts the course for the whole meeting. Now you know what to talk about because you know what's important to them.
1: So is it more language like let's and we type of language rather than I? Is it as simple as that or are there nuances with that?
0: There's all kinds of nuances, but it's the expression I want now, I don't know if you know this, but there's only one person in the world who cares what you want. you know who that is? Who is it? Mom. It's mom. <laughs> no one else cares what you want. We have to make it about them and they'll, they'll be interested in wanting to have a conversation with us.
2: That's fantastic. Yeah, and leading to that whole concept of, of questions, um, one of the things that I did want to ask Lee is in transportation, we do a lot of RSPs. I mean, oh, we yeah. see them constantly. We may even just reach out to a contact, never even hosted a a call to understand who they are, and they'll go, hey, give me your email address, I'll add you to the RFP. And so that's one of the things I wanted to ask you is, getting RFPs in any industry, give us some advice on what you think is, is the best practices for people that are coming across them.
0: Yeah, so there's a couple of things. If you have a relationship with them and they are forced to buy through that awful RFP process, Um, You know, because procurement, they're just here to help, right? (laughs) Um, What you want to do, again, let's come back to what we talked about earlier. They don't know about the world of potential solutions in your industry like you do. So when they say that that they have to do that, what if you said this in response? I completely understand. As a matter of fact, many of our clients today use an RFP to select a provider. By the way, have you already written the RFP? No, we haven't. Well, we've put together a template. That is all the questions you need to ask so that you can make an informed buying decision. Would you like me to send that to you? So you create an RFP for your services as if you were the one that was procuring them. And think about the three scenarios there. Of course, they're going to say, yes, send it over. One is they use it at face value. I've had clients use it. They didn't even change the footer where it says insert your company name here. (laughs) I've had others pull questions from it and I've had others just not use it at all. In each one of those cases, what I've done is I've differentiated myself. I've shown a willingness to help. I've demonstrated expertise in my space, whether they use the tool or not, which gives me a leg up, even though that they're going through that. Now, let's say you don't have a relationship. RFP shows up on your doorstep. Now, you probably know there's a lot of changes in the administration, a lot of new laws have come into effect, but here's one that has not been passed. There is no law that says you must respond to every RFP that comes on your desk. Not one. You have they that choice. Excited. <laughs> they're
2: excited. You know, they're excited. This comes, I mean, I, I run a sales team of people with Tyler at my office and mm-hmm. you know, they get so giddy to see these RFPs. And yes. I love what you had to say in regards to it is utilize that, take a look, see if they're going to communicate with you off of any questions that you have. Mm-hmm. Because I've had that as being a diversified business, I will get an email that's from a supplier diversity, just role within a company, and they're like, hey, we want you to fill this out. And I'm like, great. Yeah. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to learn what it is that you need. Can yeah. so we host a call? And I get no response back on that. So what do you, what do you propose to people when that happens?
0: So, so the first thing is, so we agree, but there's no law saying we have to respond. So then we have a choice. So what we do is we go through the RFP and make a list of questions, and we reach out to that head of procurement and say something to the effect of, hey, thank you for including us in this process. We're evaluating the RFP and we're trying to decide if it makes sense for us to participate. We do have some questions uh, to ask you that weren't addressed in the RFP that would affect our, our response. How do we best provide those to you? And so the idea is you created questions. The RFP didn't address these that you know are important for their decision criteria. Because procurement writes something that is very different than what their users really need, right? So this is your opportunity to demonstrate some expertise in the space. And what will happen is if they're willing to get involved with the questions, they drag the user into the conversation and now you get to have some opportunity. But if they're not willing to do that, there are much better uses for your sales time than if they just say, you just have to fill it out or not. Now, I'll tell you a little secret about procurement. That There's a world, just like there's a sales world, there's a buyer's world. There are procurement trainers out there. As a matter of fact, people ask me all the time, what's the best sales training I've ever participated in? It's procurement training. And if you can find a, a procurement trainer to bring into your organization and talk with your team about how they educate buyers to evaluate supplier quality management and uh, pricing coaching and all that stuff, it's absolutely fantastic. It's like learning what the enemy is doing. Um, But when when you look at that side of the, the space, they are measured on certain things. And when they put an RFP on the street, one of their objectives is to get a certain number of bidders. So you need to be mindful of that. Just because you got that RFP does not mean you're in the game. And you all know that a lot of times where you're the one that has the relationship and it has to go to RFP, but it's been manipulated so that you get it. Happens all the time. Right, So if you're just receiving this RFP, you really have to wonder, is this happening because they really wanna make a change? And that's one of the questions I would ask procurement. Have you definitively decided to make a change in supplier? If the answer is yes, then I ask some additional questions. The answer is no, I start getting really concerned that it's their five year rule. Every five years we have to bid this out. If I'm not the low price provider, I probably don't have a good shot at getting this piece of business.
1: Yeah, and then that's something in freight. You know, RFPs just they just drive any annual contract or three month or six month contract, and it's, mm-hmm. it's it's kind of like you want to run away from them most of the time, but you can't because it's just nature of business, and yeah, and I don't think anyone who really has good. Answers, but, but you just provided a really good strategy for handling RFPs because I I, I used to get excited when I saw an RFP and then I would immediately yeah. get depressed because uh, you know my chances are like winning the lottery sometimes uh, it of whether is. I you know <laughs> you know I, I, I you spend all this time getting an RFP from someone and it's like winning the lottery I'm probably not going to get any any business from this I'm going to spend a lot of time doing it. And if I don't ask the right questions, I'm not going to know whether it's a good deal or a bad deal until I've exactly. invested so, so much time that it's just it's just a worthless opportunity. It's funny I that think, you used to... I uh, think
2: you're also... Oh, I'm sorry. I no, was I was gonna,
0: just going to say... Gonna it, say I would, go, please, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <Please> <laughs> I was just going to say, I was going to say, what percentage of people actually, when they get that RFP, go back to the customer and ask those questions? So... I think that will make you stick out being different Absolutely. is that you take that time to really understand that business. And I think if you, if you cultivate that in your message, mm-hmm. um, that might go a long way for you.
0: Yeah. And, and so up front, you notice I said we're evaluating the RFP and deciding if it makes sense for us to participate in the process. We didn't say we're in, mm-hmm. right? So that, there, that we've got a solid business here. We have to see if it makes sense to invest. And the reason I use that word invest, when you look at the hours that are involved with responding to one of these RFPs, it's about this thick, and you start putting some dollars to that, that's significant. And you use before the expression of a, of a lottery ticket, I had a salesperson once say, like the old lottery expression, you got to be in it to win it. <laughs> okay? and And how many times have you been in it? And how many times have you won it? And she got very quiet in response. <laughs> you've got to be you've got to be well positioned. So again, if you're up front and you can shape the, the RFP, fantastic. Then it may make sense for you to participate. If it comes out, you know, one of those blind RFPs shows up on your doorstep. That's not good news. It's not bad news. It means there's an opportunity there that warrant some investigation, you need to have some conversations with procurement and see if this is really an opportunity for you to, to get a piece of business or a sales barrage that can cost you a lot of sales time.
1: Yeah, I think so, one of the, the, the differentiators as well, Oh, sorry, Nicole. No, go ahead. Uh, one of the differentiators is, is pushing back and saying no. You know, saying no to, to some of these opportunities really differentiates you from 99 percent of the salespeople out there who are chasing every lead and, and prospect and, and deal that they can get their hands on, so they can make their monthly, you know, m- monthly quota, and then start over the the same uh, system and process of so the next month and, and get by uh, on on average results.
0: Yeah, and that, see, that's the thing in sales, right? You can go home exhausted every day, work so hard, but not necessarily effective. And top mm-hmm. salespeople are really good at saying, this is where I invest every minute of my time, and that's how they maximize their earnings.
2: And that's what I was going to talk about is we didn't talk about the tiny spot underneath that says to win more deals at the prices you want. Yes, And yes. so That's a big concept that you talk about throughout the entire book is, you know, making sure that you're you're listing out those differentiations, but not all business is where you need to be. So can you just give a quick concept on how to get people to buy at the prices that you want? Like, what's your biggest uh, tip for people
0: with that? You know, it isn't so much a, a single tip. That's that's the overarching theme of sales differentiation. When you differentiate what you sell and how you sell it, it helps you win more deals at the prices that you want. But there are so many ways that you can differentiate yourself. Again, you look at the product and you look at every nook and cranny of it and you say, why would this be meaningful to my buyer? And now how do I position it in a meaningful way so that they get it? And we talked about questions a little earlier, because here's the deal, I I see this all the time. Companies so passionate about their differentiators, they say, boy, we should never be fighting over price. And then I look at their sales data, lost over price, lost over price, dropped Mm -hmm. the price to below acceptable levels to win it. Why? Because they couldn't get someone on the other side of the desk, just as excited as they are about their differentiators. And here's the deal. If you can't get that person just as excited as you are about your differentiators, there's only one conversation you're going to have. And what's that? Price. Right.
1: It really
2: is. And you I mean you made a I, point, too, about that, whereas you price match, you're setting yourself up for that, yes. that scenario to come to you consistently. Yeah. You know, I know we get very excited as sales reps. We want that shipment. We want that customer. We want whatever it is that we're trying to sell but you're almost setting yourself up for a consistent uh, issue with price matching
0: and and lowering your price right there. Not only that, I mean, it's funny. Salespeople, uh, I did this earlier. I'm looking at getting a new desk. And so I designed this desk online. I called up the company because you know, when you design it, it tells you a price on the end. First question out of my mouth is, Hey, I just designed this online. Um, Are there discounts available on this? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We could drop the price on that That exact words exact words. So how are you going to win deals the prices you want when the first thing you say when someone asks about prices, no problem, to $400 off before I blinked an eye? And what that tells me is there's probably about $800 to $1,000 that I'll be able to get if I squeeze. I mean, is that really the relationship you want to have with, with your clientele, right? And salespeople think that they're heroes when they do that. So you put a price in front of someone and they say, boy, can you do better on the price? I can knock 15% off, no problem. And they think they're a hero. Now what they're really thinking is, you jerk, you were trying to rip me off. You're not (laughs) a hero when you do that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah
1: you're exactly right we're talking about differentiation right now sales differentiation uh for though there's freight brokers out there who are struggling with being able to differentiate yourself we've been talking about what it is well let's talk uh really shortly here about what it's not and you make this distinction in your book between differentiation and unique yes Can you yes dive into that
0: Sure. So if you think of what unique means, look it up in Webster's. Unique means you're the only one on the planet with this particular aspect, right? Mm -hmm. The only ones that have that are ones that have a patent. And most of us aren't blessed to have a patent for what we're selling. So using that word unique is really a misnomer. What I look at is the word different, which is not a synonym for unique. Again, you can look that up, too. Different is relative to something else. It's a comparison. So relative to doing it themselves or relative to another provider. Mm-hmm. And this is why salespeople get so frustrated that they look for what's unique about what they're selling and they go, boy, there really is nothing unique here. There isn't that one nugget. But if you look at the aggregate of what you're selling, the entire experience of doing business with you, you have an opportunity to differentiate that to provide meaningful value in ways that your competitors aren't, and that's one of the keys to winning more deals at the prices that you want.
2: When I when we read this book, we wanted to ask our entire team to take a look at the differentiators that were listed. So, and so our entire team saw those multiple pages, and we oh, the all the sales differentiation
0: universe. Yeah,
2: yeah, we all came together to create the concepts because I think that is something that a lot of people lack too. Is that confidence that everyone's on board with what makes you different. Yeah. What is those what are those little nuggets that that make you different? And so when we all came together and said that, that process now even on at the very end, the customer service piece when something gets delivered, it's handled differently and it actually makes our team excited to understand how they play part into the
0: differentiation. And and here's the fundamental question that, that I'll give for all of our viewers today. When you look at the entire continuum from when you first pick up the phone and reach out to a prospect, all the way through when you have a proposal, they sign on, customer service, account management, every step along the way, ask yourself this question. What is it that I can do different than the competition that my buyers will find meaningful? So it's not different for the sake of different. It's what will be meaningful to the buyers. Every touchpoint, every interaction you have gives you that opportunity to provide meaningful value. You just have to dissect that entire continuum and identify those points and create an overall experience for them.
1: And a lot of times it is that entire process of making little tweaks in that to create something that is differentiated uh, against everyone else of your competitors. Thank you so much, Lee, for joining us today. Again, thank you. Sales differentiation, I'm about to, to, to give away a copy to, to one of our listeners here. Uh, so I, I, give a, I give out a book almost every week. So sales differentiation, I've been waiting on this, sales differentiation. And your new book is coming out uh, when? In the spring?
0: Uh, no, it'll be out uh, September. Oh, September. There'll be a pre-launch okay. this summer, but it officially is available uh, to have in your hot little hands in September. Sell different. You can read about it on Amazon. The description's up there now. Sell different.
1: Oh, thank you very much, Lee. Lee Saltz again. Um, and join us Thanks, again
0: mate. soon.
1: You know, anytime you want I'd to be on to. the show.
0: I, I would love to do that. Perhaps we could do that when sell different comes out. We can yeah. talk about those strategies.
1: Yeah, that would be perfect. We will schedule that. We'll awesome. put that one on the books. Perfect. Thank you. You bet. Thanks, Lee. Thanks. So, Nicole. That was a fun conversation. I, I always love talking I about know. sales differentiation, niches. Uh, you know, those are. I I I really that that really resonates with me. That that custom buying experience, and being able to to map that out, is very powerful in your sales career. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's and it's something that you've done. You've created an entire company, uh, based on that. I I I mean it's really was that kind of your philosophy going into to candor expedite
2: yes and no it's one of those things where yeah. you stay true you know you develop what it is that you're good at you stay true to that and then you tweak it you know and you you mm-hmm. include others in on the process and so even something as getting a book like this and in, incorporating the team and and drilling that home on how we can make a difference is an evolving process and again it's always changing you know I think as your company changes, as you grow, as you add on new things like the circle, mm-hmm. you're going to have different differentiations over a period of time. So I think it's constantly revamping that yes. and looking at that and using it.
1: Yeah, it's, it's not a static market. You know, any business, any industry isn't static. It's dynamic. So you have to change your different, differentiation strategies and your sales strategies. With that, you know, over the last 12 months, a lot of people have had to, to change their strategies. And to differentiate themselves in a new business environment.
2: Oh, yeah. And we'll see it keep changing. You know, it's like Mm -hmm. we just talked about in the beginning how B2C is really growing. So I'm sure there's some companies out there that will continually be evolving and then bringing in those different strategies and and educating their clients on
1: it. Yeah. So, uh, Nicole, can you give me a number between 1 and 117? Ooh, good one. 74. 74, so 74, let me dive down in here, 74, and for some reason, I, I guess we took out the, the 74, maybe they won a book, but it goes from 73 to 75. Duner did this, so I'm gonna blame Dooner, he doesn't know what 74 <laughs> is, so. Way to go, Duner. I, I know, right, so I, I know, can, can I get another number? Um, start all over, 19. 19, so Jordan Strong. So Jordan Strong wins a, a copy of Sales Differentiation. I, I'll get in touch with you, Jordan, and send you out a book. Um, but yeah, no, it's a really great read. It, you can do Audible. Yeah. You know, I, I read mine on my Kindle. I have this copy right here. Um, but but it's it's it, it's it's a really simple, easy to understand concept that will be powerful in your your sales career. I agree. I
2: agree, and I think it's. People come together, talk about it, execute it, and stay on track. That's the one thing that, you know, you and I had talked about is mm-hmm. we didn't ask Lee that question is just pick a process and stay with it. You know, I know it's very easy to revert back to the lecturing, uh, we're the best mindset, but you just got to stay on track with with keeping it out there and what's different
1: you do, you do, you have to, uh, to, to really keep on, keep on track. I mean, you know, and that's where the, the difference between your, your typical salesperson and a consultant. A consultant, and then Lee was uh, given that example of attorney, an attorney is a consultant, right? He's a professional that you go in and you take their advice but most of their advice is, is done through questioning you. You know, finding out what your situation is, finding out how you need help, you know, and then proposing solutions for that. And it's tough to do that. I know a lot of times uh, you, just, you just want to get into the, the, the pitch, uh, and, and you don't think about differentiation or price until the very end, and that's a, that's a killer. Yeah,
2: yep. and so even for when Tyler first started, he had our, his first like, big meeting booked, and I told him right before, it was probably like 10 minutes before, I'm like, we're going to go on this call, and we are not going to talk about us. At all in the beginning, mm-hmm. and I his face was like like we're gonna start this to have them introduce themselves, and then start asking them questions to identify what those pain points are, and then our introduction comes off of how we can fulfill you know and plug those gaps for them with our niche services. Yep. So again, it's a different mindset. It's tweaking, but mapping it all out and understanding what your differentiations are and putting that out to the customer and educating that client. Uh, you'll have a lot more wins than just throwing darts at a wall.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you very much for for joining me as guest co-host today, Nicole, and thanks for thank recommending you. Lee. And that yep. will wrap this episode of Put That Coffee Down.
0: Thank you. I got friends on the gonna- Smart.